0: You know, um, before we dive into the sermon today, I just want to take a couple moments and just redirect us to where our gaze should be and give you some pastoral perspective to help care for you as a church. This past week, the news has been really loud. Anybody here felt a little inundated by the news? No matter what perspective you're coming from, no matter what political party, no matter whether your candidate won or lost, it doesn't matter. But anybody here felt the news just a little too much this week? A little just. It was just unbearable at times, the amount of news, the amount of updates, the amount of hearing about this and hearing about that, and, and everybody's got a strong opinion in both ways and all kinds of things, and we can be so easily swept up and consumed with news and events around the world, and I know personally I felt a pull to, to know what's going on, to hear the latest updates, and at times i have been sucked in this week, and, and it's dangerous. Let's not give in those temptations to to live by the news instead of living by the bread of God living by his word and you know so easily the cares of this world they can creep in and they can they can choke out God's word in our lives and the news can actually become louder than God in our lives and the news can become louder than God's word and and louder than he, hearing his voice and if we're not on guard the enemy uses things like that to come in and try to steal the word of God and I want to remind us that we wrestle, but we're not wrestling against people. Our battle, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against somebody who believes differently than you. It's not against people who you can't believe they did this, or you can't believe they voted that way. or You can't believe that. Our our wrestle is not against people. The Bible tells us it's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers against wickedness in the high places. We wrestle against the cosmic powers in the present darkness that are against God. And that's what we're wrestling. People are not our enemies. Let's, as a church, keep that in the forefront of our minds. No one who you agree or disagree with, is nobody, nobody you disagree with is your enemy. They are not the foe. We have a foe, and he tries to keep us and our gaze on other people instead of realizing that we have a foe, and it's the devil, and he tries to confuse us, he tries to divide us, he tries to intimidate us, and at times his, his voice is really loud, but people are not our enemies. You know what people who disagree with us, people who maybe believe differently, people who are against what we believe, you know what they are? They're our mission field. They're people that we're called to love. They're people that we're called to, to reach out to, and if you think someone is deceived, then... That should drive us to our knees to pray and pray for people who who believe differently. Pray that that God might give you understanding, that he might give you discernment and wisdom and, and remember that God so loved the world, the present evil age, that he sent his very own son that whoever believes, whoever believes, right, no matter where they're coming from, in this church, we don't take sides. So, those people in this church are coming from different perspectives, and that's really good and healthy, and I'm glad for that. But God so loved the world that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life, and that is most important. Let's not spend our energies on things that are not eternal and won't last. Let's not waste them. It's like a runner who's about to, to run a marathon race, and the night before the runner stays up and parties all night and dances around all night long, and then by the time the marathon comes, they're worn out and they're no good, and that's what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to get worked up and spend our energies on, on what does not matter truly instead of what matters. And let's, let's get uh, reminded to not be distracted from our mission. Um, I'm not aware of anybody in particular in the church. I'm not speaking at anybody. This is not corrective. It's a reminder. I want to care for you. I want to make sure that I'm pointing all of our gaze back to God. Maybe you're not struggling. Maybe this message, this, this introduction really is just, just for you to share with someone else. Remember our mission, primary mission in the world is to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's who we're to be ambassadors for. Not for a party or a candidate. We're to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Remember that our mission is to be disciples of Jesus Christ and that we're called to pursue growing in him and making disciples. Let's, let's keep that at the center of the church. Let's keep the gospel, let's keep the good news of Jesus Christ at the center of our lives and not be distracted by all the, the barrage of news that comes at us and it, it comes at a fast clip. No matter what your background is, here's where we find hope. We find hope and peace in Christ as we trust in him as the son of God, as we sang about this morning, to take away the sins of the world. And in Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, and it's the the most relevant question for everybody here and for everybody you encounter today still. Jesus asked his disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And how you answer that question, what you believe about that question is is all important. Now, Peter, he answered Jesus. And actually, it's just before the text we're going to dive in today. And Peter answered Jesus, and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And how you answer that question makes all the difference. You see, that's what unites us as believers, is who we say Jesus Christ is. It, Jesus came to unite people from every tribe and tongue and nation and background, socioeconomic, kind of, any status you come from, skin color, no matter where you, what your belief systems used to be, Jesus unites us all in Him as we place our hope in Him. And so I want to I make a fresh commitment as a church to let's unite across. Whatever party lines, different ages, skin colors, backgrounds, and and let's remember that we all together need one thing to be central. Paul said that I I made it my aim to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's let's that be our aim. Maybe I've been distracted, but let's let that that be our aim today. Let's unite in our shared mission that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ Well, I'll get off my soapbox, I promise. Um, I think it's important in times like these we don't beat around the bush, we don't ignore current events, we don't ignore where a lot of our hearts have been this week. Um, The the whole point of why we've been in the miracles and the parables of Jesus Christ is so that we see Jesus. And I can't think of a more relevant morning that we need to see Jesus. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 17 and I believe that, that God is going to Give us exactly what we need. And that's an increased vision of who he is. And that that vision of who he is is necessary to drown out every other thing so that he becomes greater in our eyes and all other things fade in comparison. We'll turn your Bibles to Matthew 17. Be reading verses 1 through 9. This is God's holy, inerrant, inspired word. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed him. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I am keenly aware of my need for you, Lord. I, I'm physically weak in my body, Lord. I've been distracted. Lord, I think all of us for a moment were thrown um, with Steve falling down. God, all of us need help focusing on you and your word. All of us need help to see you But thank you, God, that you are a gracious God, that you meet us just where we are, that in the midst of our terror, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our concerns, you come to us and you love us. And you say, be not afraid. So God, I pray that you would be with us right now. In in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you... Have you ever gotten bad news? You ever gotten really bad news? Um, we almost got bad news today. We didn't get that. It was good. Um, have you ever gotten news maybe a loved one was about to die? Um, maybe somebody was struggling. Maybe someone was um, had a severe illness, maybe you've gotten bad news about circumstances that are coming your way and you were worried that you were going to endure difficulties and you were going to suffer or you were gonna have hardship come on you or maybe you lost your job or whatever it is and, and you've gotten bad news or maybe this past week the news wasn't good for you. And, and when you get bad news, it can be all-consuming. It can be discouraging and it can be disorienting. If you think about it too much, you can get really worried and anxious, fearful. Bad news can consume you and it can be all that you think about. The, the context of this miracle that happened was really that the disciples had just gotten some terrible news in just a few verses prior to this chapter, in, in all three different accounts, and it occurs in three different gospel accounts, all three accounts of this miracle, right before this what happens is the disciples got some really terrible news. Jesus told his disciples, he said, behold, I'm going to have to suffer at the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees, and then I'm going to be killed, They've been with Jesus for three years. They, they thought he might be the Messiah. They, they weren't exactly sure, but they thought he might be the Messiah, and yet he says, I'm gonna suffer, I have to suffer, and then I'm gonna be killed, but I'm gonna rise again, and they, they didn't really hear that rise again part. They didn't compute, they didn't understand that. They didn't know what resurrection meant, and so it was really bad news, and they were thrown for that, and then right after that, you know, Peter, he didn't take that too well, and, you know, he was never one to stay silent when he received bad news or something he disagreed with. So Peter, he takes Jesus aside. And, and he took him aside and rebuked Jesus. And he says, Jesus, that's, that's never going to happen to you. And famously then, Jesus took Peter aside and Peter got quite a whooping, really. He says, get behind me, Satan. Satan. Would you like to hear that from Jesus? Get behind me Satan. Now he didn't mean he was actually Satan but what he was saying was from the devil. It was, he was trying to persuade Jesus not to do what he came to do. That's evil ultimately because Jesus needed to suffer and die. He says get behind me Satan, you're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. That's what bad news can do. That's what happens to us. We can set our minds on, not on the things of God but on the things of man. That's the context this miracle's in. Where have you been setting your mind? Where has your mind been this week? Has it been on the things of God primarily or on the things of man? Well, with that in mind, Jesus, after he rebuked Peter, he went to make sure that Peter knew that not only would, would Jesus die and be raised, but then he gives, he gives the disciples even worse news And he says, and not only that, by the way, um, anyone who wants to follow after me, you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. Follow me, I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna die. Here's what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to do that, and if you wanna follow me, you're gonna suffer. That must have disoriented the disciples. This was not the victorious Christian life they imagined. Now the word Christian hadn't been coined yet, but this wasn't the victorious messianic life that they imagined. This is not what they imagined the Christ, the Messiah, had come to do. They imagined he would come to deliver them from all suffering, from all problems, and they got bad news, hard news, difficult news. Then Jesus told them something more perplexing. He says, I truly, I tell you, some standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And then in that context, our verses open up, and that's why Matthew is careful to write six days later. Later than what? Later than what we just talked about. It's really important right on the heels of getting awful news. The disciples needed to have their gaze reoriented. They needed to see Jesus. They needed to to have a clear view and a clear vision of him in church. That is what God intends for us this morning. That's what we all need. We need to have a clear vision. We need to see Jesus for who he is. We need to see him for who he really truly is, not for who we make him out to be if we are to trust in him and to endure what he's calling us to do. And so in this passage, Jesus, he takes his three disciples and he takes them away. And he intentionally, he takes them up onto a high mountain and he's about to give them some some truths that they need to understand about him if they're going to follow him. And there's really four truths that we we see that His disciples needed to see if they were to have faith in him and endure. And the first truth that they needed is that they needed perspective. You ever need perspective? You ever ever need to, you know, think for a moment? You know, I, I saw something I read that was actually helpful. It was, you know, said, hey, you know, the day before the election, or two days before the election, or two weeks before the election, If you weren't worried and you didn't think the world was gonna end, then why do you feel that way now? Is it not the same God two weeks ago as he is today? Do we not have the same God yesterday, today, and forever? We need perspective sometimes. You know, you heard the old illustration of three blindfolded men, and they take these three blindfolded men, they'd never seen an elephant before, you probably heard about this. And so they, these three blindfolded men, they've never seen an elephant before. And so they take these men to go and, and describe and see an elephant. And so they lead one over to the trunk. And so he holds on to the trunk of the elephant. They lead one over to the, the hind leg of the elephant. And so he holds on to that. And they lead one over and put both hands on the side of the elephant. And so um, each man has a different perspective. The one on the front says, I think an elephant is like a massive snake. It's, it's huge it's, and it's wiggly and it's all over the place. It's like a giant anaconda, but it's got holes in the end. And, and so he's a little confused. And so the guy in the on the hind quarter, he's like an elephant is like a tree and, and with the hard things at the bottom. And, he, and, it, and it goes up from there. And the guy at the side, it's an elephant's like a wall. And then they take the, the blindfold off of all three men and they they have a perspective and they have a bigger picture and their perspective is broadened. That's what happens here in this passage. They had a small view of Jesus, but they needed to have a big view of Jesus. They needed to have their perspective broadened of who Jesus really is. You know, sometimes we can be like those blindfolded guys and, and we, can, we can fail to have a perspective of who Jesus is. We can treat Jesus like a mere man. And sometimes it's helpful for for us to get away and get perspective. And that's what Jesus does. He, he takes them up because what they needed was to have a sustaining vision of Jesus. And so Jesus takes them away on a personal retreat, if you will. He takes them up to a high mountain. This might have been um, one of Mount Tabor, one of the higher mountains in the area. Um, They're anywhere between 5,000, 9,000 feet, so they're very high, they're above everything else, and he takes them to a secluded place where nobody else is, and he does it intentionally. He's deliberate, this isn't accidental. Jesus didn't just happen to go to the top of the mountain and woo, this transfiguration happens. No, he knew that they needed to see him for who he was on the heels of understanding that he was gonna suffer and die and be resurrected and that they have to take up the cross and follow him. He knew that in order to sustain their faith, Their trust in him, they needed to see him for who he was, especially if they were gonna lead others to see him as well. And so six days after he told them these things, and six days after he said, some here will not die before they see my kingdom, that's exactly what Peter and James and John see. They see God's kingdom in a small way. They see King Jesus breaking through, breaking through the veil. Clearly, I think things were back to normal between Peter and Jesus, um, they were okay again. You know, I, I feel for Jesus when I read, when I read the gospel, I mean, for Peter when I read the gospels. But Luke tells us that uh, Peter and James and John, they were, their eyes were heavy with sleep. They were all praying, and I was actually encouraged by that. I know it's weird, but when, when I pray, sometimes I fall asleep, and I don't mean to, and I feel guilty, I feel bad about it, but you know, the disciples did that too, and so um, they fell asleep, and they, they wake up, and when they wake up, they see something astounding. They saw that Jesus had transfigured. The word there is actually metamorphosis. He, he had undergone a, a metamorphosis, a, a transformation, a dramatic transformation. And the entire perspective on who Jesus was was changed in that moment, and that's what they needed most. Church, we need to look up from our slumber We need to look up from our sleep. We can often be sleeping as Christians, sleeping through our lives, sleeping through, just kind of going through the motions. We need to wake up and see who Jesus is. Disciples thought that Jesus was about an earthly kingdom. They didn't understand. They were distracted. They they needed to see Jesus. They needed to see his glory. And I think that's true for us. You know, where, where do you get distracted? Where At times are you confused, where do you not understand? Church, I think we need to see Jesus, to look up, to wake up, to see Jesus, to have our eyes opened up and to see who he really is and the brightness of his glory. And it tells us here in these verses that Jesus was transfigured, he was transformed, and they saw really this this second truth that Jesus wanted them to see that he has for us as well, is that Jesus is greatest. That's, that's the second thing we see in this passage is in, is in transfiguration, as that he is greatest. And I could say the greatest, but that, that kind of minimizes thing. He, he, is, he is the greatest of all. He is, he is greater than anything. Right before their eyes, there was this change of the face of Jesus. And, and listen how he describes it. Um, and all three gospel writers kind of grapple with how to describe it. And I love how, how it's described here. It says in, in verse two, look down your Bible, it says, face shone like the sun. You ever been outside on a hot, clear summer day and you try to look up at the sun and you just can't bear it? it, it you know, you might for a moment and you have to squint and it almost burns your eyes and it's too much to look at and it says that's how Jesus' face became. I, that, that doesn't compute with me. I can't imagine that. You know, I'm a fan, I'm a fan of sci-fi, I admit it. I'm a, I have a little geeky side to me, and I like, I like sci-fi. And, you know, I've seen all kinds of sci-fi, you know, things happen, and, and you know, I, I used to watch, um, well, I won't tell you what I used to watch, um, but uh, it had like the Outer Limits back when I was a kid. Maybe that's more tame. And they had all these other different shows, and they would have all these transformations of people. But I can't imagine it really happening right in front of me and being there. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? Jesus' face became as bright as the sun. And then it, then it doesn't stop there, it describes his clothes and it says his clothes became as white as a light. As white as light. Now, that's hard to wrap your head around, but if you think about it for a moment, you know, light it has, embodies all the colors of the rainbow. Right. If you if you studied Isaac Newton, if you studied physics, you'll you'll know that you know this, this this coffee cup here is not really blue. That's a secondary property to the coffee cup here or coffee mug here. Um, it, it's 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 primarily just reflects blue. It's not not actually blue, but it reflects the blue color. But all the colors of the rainbow really are in the color white, and it's pure, and it. And it, and it, and it encapsulates everything that there is. And so if you think about it for a moment, white, light is as pure as you can get. And it says his clothes were white as light. They glowed. They glowed white. And it says his, his clothing became dazzling in Luke. No one could bleach them, Mark tells us in 9.3. Nobody on earth could bleach them as white as they were. Can scarcely imagine what that means. And just try to picture that in, in your mind for a moment. If you need to close your eyes, see the face of Jesus, bright as the sun, his clothes white as light, and it says, like lightning before your eyes. I think that would have been pretty scary. I think that would have been pretty terrifying. You know, Jesus had intentionally hidden his glory behind the veil. Of human flesh. You know that, that song we sing at Christmas, Christmas time, veiled in flesh, the Godhead be? His, his flesh had veiled his glory. And now, this veil that had, it had hidden the glory and the majesty of the eternal Son of God, it was being lifted just a little. So they could see just a part of the true glory of Jesus, the glory of the King of all creation. And they were seeing his face shining like the sun. That one day we'll all see face to face. Revelations actually tells us of the new city of Jerusalem and the new heaven coming down on, onto the new earth. And this, and this John, the same John, by the way, who saw this transfiguration, he was given the revelation of Jesus. And he says in Revelation 21, 23, he says, the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it. And he tells us why. He says, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. I can't even imagine that, that God is, is so brilliant and so pure that he himself embodies light. They were seeing who Jesus really was here, the great I Am. The one who, when he, in creation, he was the source of light. When he said, let there be light, and then he created the stars and the sun and the moon. They were seeing this small picture of the glory of Jesus and all of his purity and holiness. And Psalm 104, David had declared about God, he says, you are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. Does that sound familiar to you? Here is Jesus. He is covered with with light as with a garment. Could you imagine being there? You know, I think about Exodus 33, when God had, had told Moses that he was gonna use him to bring the people up into the promised land. And, and Moses said, that's good, God, but if your presence doesn't go with me, then I won't go. And God says, I will go with you. And then Moses says, well, that's, that's good, but I need more. I need to see a bigger vision of you. Can I see your glory? And so Moses asks to see the holiness of God, to see the glory of God. And God says, yes, I'll show you my glory, but you can't bear it. It's too much for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you, you. I'm gonna put you in a crevice of a rock, and I'm gonna put my hand over you, and I'll pass by, and after I pass by, I'll let you see my back, because if you see my face, you'll die. And so God passes by, in exodus thirty four the Lord descends in a cloud of his glory, and he covers Moses and he passes by and then in exodus thirty four six God declares something to him, and, and in his glory, what is it that makes God so glorious it's his holiness, it's his purity, his goodness, and so God declares that as he goes by Moses, and he says, "The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious." Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And you can turn your Bibles if you want or you can just write it down, Exodus 34, six. He says, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And what was Moses' response? He says, and Moses quickly bowed his head to the ground and worshiped and we're seeing here a parallel in this passage he bowed his head he fell on his face in worship but you know what it was that vision of God that sustained Moses Moses needed to see that vision of God's holiness of his purity of his goodness of his righteousness of his mercy in order to sustain him for 40 years in the wilderness. God, Moses said, God, let me see your glory. And it was that vision of God's glory that sustained Moses for the rest of his life. Living with a complaining people for 40 years. And here we see a parallel. You know, Moses came down from the mountain. You remember when he came down from the mountain, what happened? His face was so bright, it tells us that that people couldn't look at him. They were afraid to look at him because he just reflected the glory of God. His skin reflected God's glory. Um, That's a little weird for us to think about. But that's the effect that God's glory has, not only us spiritually, but on us physically as well. And so his face is reflecting God's glory. He put a veil over his face. But here, when Moses' face, he he shone like the sun. Here is very different. Jesus wasn't reflecting God's glory. I love how R.T. France puts it. He says, What the disciples saw on the mountain is on a different level from the shining of Moses' face when he came down from the mountain in Exodus. Moses shone for a time with a reflection of the divine glory he had seen. Jesus shone with his own heavenly glory. Moses' radiance was derivative. Jesus, essential. Jesus' radiance was essential. It came from him. It came from him. And the disciples needed to see a vision of this true glory and majesty of Jesus, even, even though they didn't know they needed to see it. Maybe this morning you... You don't know just how much you really need to see Jesus in his glory, and his majesty, in his purity, and his holiness, that he's gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, but rich in love. Jesus wants you to see him for who he is. We don't follow just an ordinary man. I think in that moment the disciples got it. Oh, this is no ordinary man. He is something totally other. Jesus is something totally other. Yes, he is man, but he is fully man, and yet fully God. He is something completely other. He is in a class all of his own. He is completely holy. That's what it means to be holy, completely other. Completely different than us, completely unlike us, yet like us, but completely other than us. And his kingdom is not a worldly kingdom. He's over all kings and over all kingdoms, and he shines Brightly, like the light of the sun. And that's what the disciples begin to grasp on that day: that Jesus is greater than any other man. And, and then it tells us in, in verse three, if you look down, it says, "Behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him." What in the world's that all about? You ever think about that? Why in the world were Moses and Elijah there? Is that kind of what's kind of weird? What's going on there? Well, I think it's a few things, probably. You know the the return of Elijah and Moses, it symbolized the coming of the Messiah and the beginning of the Messiah's reign. It was also, I think, to give them hope and faith that God truly is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. Moses and Elijah weren't dead. Now, they they weren't there physically, but their spirits were in some way present. And Moses and Elijah were pointing to Jesus here. And Moses was the one that God used to deliver his people from captivity. He was the one who led them out, that God used to deliver them. Moses was the one through whom the Ten Commandments were given. He was the one God used to write the first five books of the Bible. God used Moses to establish the tabernacle and the entire system of worship and the law and how to approach God. And God used Moses to feed his people, to provide water from a rock, you think about it, in the Old Testament, there's really no one greater person in the Old Testament than Moses. And what's he doing here? He's, he's serving Jesus. He's ministering to Jesus. He's talking to Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus. And, and then you see Elijah with him as well. And who was Elijah? Elijah was perhaps the greatest of all the prophets in the Old Testament. He, he represents really God's voice in the earth, God, the embodiment of God speaking in the earth. And God used Elijah, if you remember the story, to, to call down fire when all the prophets of Baal said that their God was greater. Elijah mocked them and he said, no, yeah, if your God's so great, why don't you cry out to him? You know, you know try cutting yourself. Do some things to, you know, maybe you should try some other things. It's not working. And then he prayed and, and fire from God came down and consumed not only the altar of Baal, but consumed that altar that he had made that was covered with water and Then God used Elijah to kill the false prophets of Baal and to raise a dead widow's son, and he was God's mouthpiece. At the end of his life, he was carried up in a chariot of fire. And here he is talking to Jesus. I can imagine his disciples understood the significance of that. They understood that here's the greatest prophet, here's the giver of the law, And they're talking with Jesus. This is a momentous occasion. This is historic. This is massive. What we see here, though, is that Jesus is greater than the law and the prophets. Even if at first Peter didn't get it, and we can see that he probably didn't. Jesus is greater than the law. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than any man. But the disciples still needed to learn to listen to Jesus. And that's the third truth that they needed to see. And that's what we needed to see as well. Not only do we need to behold Jesus for who he is, we need to listen to Jesus. We need to to learn who Jesus is as well. You know, you can't hear if you're always talking. At least is what my dad used to always tell me. You can't hear if you're always talking. I mean, I can hear his voice still telling me that. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I don't want to hear. Um, you know, imagine if you were in, let's say, I don't know, Clemson, the stadium last night or yesterday, as they were playing Pitt. I'm guessing it was kind of a loud game, and when Pitt went out onto the field, um, and Clemson was yelling really loudly, especially right before Pitt. I'm sorry, ended up winning a field goal. Um, at the end of the game, but um, I imagine it was pretty loud. Imagine you had a friend there who desperately needed to talk to, something, talk to you about something serious and that your friend was sitting there and they tried in that moment when it was so loud, when, when everybody else was talking, imagine that that friend was like, hey, I gotta tell you something. I mean, you, you couldn't hear them. You can't hear when you're surrounded by all that noise. You know, imagine if they had something important to say to you. You say, hang on, let's, let's take a step outside. Now you might have said, hey, can we step outside in five minutes? It's hard to hear when there's so many other voices and so much noise and, and when we're talking, it's so hard to hear from God. It's, it's so hard to hear what God wants us to hear. You know, There's a lot of noise in the world around us, a lot of noise and circumstances, a lot of noise in, in things that are transpiring, a lot of noise in our own lives, and, um, and we're consumed with Facebook and news and all kinds of stuff, and, and there's just so much noise that we're inundated with in our lives, and if you're not careful, you won't hear Jesus. Peter here, he was talking too much. Poor Peter. The guy, the guy never met a quiet moment he was comfortable with, you know, um you ever have those times when the, the conversation gets really quiet you don't know what to say so you just like uh you say something and you say something stupid well peter peter kind of does that actually here he um mark says they were so scared actually in mark's account he says they're so scared they didn't want to say you know and i can imagine because mark was one of peter's disciples and i can imagine peter was like mark you gotta tell them that I, I really didn't i didn't know what i was saying i was just scared and i just kind of said what i meant you know, Matthew doesn't tell us, like in the kind of humorous that Mark does. They, they were so scared that they, they didn't know what to say. And so Peter just said something. And so in verse four, Peter said, Lord, it's good that we're here. <laughs> really, Peter? Yeah, it's good. A little understatement. And then he, then he does something strange here. He says, if you want, I'll make three tents. You know, let's, let's hang out here. Let's spend as much time as possible here. Hey, Jesus, I can make three tents, you know, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses, you know, because um, let's, let's keep this thing going, And he misses the point of who Jesus is. He needed to listen to Jesus instead of him just trying to respond. He wasn't thinking. He was just trying to say something. If he thought about it, he would have realized that what he was effectively saying, and I think why he probably had Mark write that, is that he probably realized later, oh my goodness, if I thought about what I was saying, I would have realized that I was equating Jesus as equal with Moses and Elijah. Let's create three tents equally. Let's all have three places where I can venerate all three of you. And when you can all three be here, let's keep all three of you. Instead of saying, oh, Jesus, I see you for who you are. You're greater than the law. You're greater than the prophets. He didn't listen to Jesus. He wanted to talk first. But God wouldn't allow that kind of confusion. He wouldn't allow Jesus to be seen as equal to Moses and Elijah. So God does something that must have been quite terrifying. Just put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They were already scared. They were already dumbfounded. You know, James and John, they, they knew enough to keep silent. But Peter, he's just like, oh, i got to say something. Jesus, <laughs> um, just, uh, it's good to be here. Can, can we make some tents for you? Uh, what do I do, you know? And he, he was just terrified. And, but here all of a sudden, it says in verse 5, look in your Bible, it says, he was still speaking, oh crud. He was still speaking, when behold, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when when my kids have been talking about something they shouldn't be talking about, or doing something they shouldn't be doing, and I come into the room, and I just stand behind them, and then they turn around, and they're like, oh no! You know, I can imagine Peter must have had a feeling way worse than that. He was still speaking, it says, when behold, a bright cloud. I can't even imagine what a bright cloud looks like. A bright cloud enveloped them, overshadowed them, kind of overtook them. He says, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know, in the Old Testament, we, we saw a few places where God's cloud of glory was seen. The Jews actually had a a name for this cloud, it's a special name, but it just really refers to his glory, an outward display of his moral purity, of his greatness, and his greatness is so great that it's displayed visibly. And they, they call that the Shekinah glory. You don't need to know that, but it's, it's this special kind of glory. And, and in God descended on Mount Sinai, and we saw that when his, this, this cloud, this glory cloud descended on top of Mount Sinai when Moses went up, and it says all the people were afraid. Why? Because there was great flashes of lightning coming from the cloud, and they, they withdrew from the mountain because the whole mountain rumbled when, they, when God spoke. They couldn't understand his voice, but the mountain rumbled. I can imagine that's what's happening here. This, this cloud is overshadowing them. And God's voice is coming from the cloud and shaking the mountain. There's other times as well when in the Old Testament, King Solomon, he is dedicating the temple. and He says, God, you know, and he prays and he says, God, there's, there's nowhere, no place that really can contain your glory But he prays for God's presence to be with him. And then what happens is this glory cloud descends on the temple and the whole temple is filled and they can't even see. And, And God's glory is just all enveloping. That's what's happening here. God's coming down in a cloud of brightness of his glory, of his holiness, of his majesty. The disciples needed to see that, they needed to see Jesus. They needed to see that Jesus is greater. And they needed to listen to him, they needed to understand that Jesus is not a mere man, he's greater than the law, what does that mean? It means that we can hope in Jesus because he came to, not to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill the law. He's greater than the prophets, what does that mean? That Jesus came as the fulfillment of all prophecy, of all of history, points forward to Jesus. That's what this glory cloud was revealing as God said, he's my son, listen to him. He is is the one who came to fulfill the law. He's the one who came at just the right time in all of history. Listen to him. He says, with whom I am well pleased. There was no other human prior who had heard those words. But you know what, the crazy thing here if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and you trust that He came to fulfill the law in your place and to earn God's favor, something you and I can never do, if you trust that He came as a fulfillment of all of history, if you trust that He came to rescue you from not only your sins but from God's wrath, um, then, then here's the really good news God doesn't just say He's well pleased with His Son, He says He's credited that to us, so He says, I'm well pleased with you. We need to listen to Jesus and hear what Jesus has to say about all those who are in him. Jesus is in the class greater than any other. He's holy. And I think the disciples got the message. Stop talking, Peter. Stop. Stop your words. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. Listen to him. See who he is. Listen to him. Listen to what he has to say. You know, sometimes I think we need to stop talking. You know, sometimes we talk to ourselves way too much and not about good things. And we need to, to instead apply the truth of God's words and talk to ourself about who Jesus is and, and effectively listen to him that way. You know, other times I think we listen to all these other voices that distract us, all these... Voices of fear and worry and concern and anxiety. The voice of the devil that tries to get us staying on politics and nonsense. Get us distracted. All these other voices that try to distract us and act like this world is our home. And that's what we're living for. And we need to stop. and Listen to him. Not listen to other voices. But I imagine that was quite frightening for Peter. He must have... You know, when, when people in the Old Testament, when they saw the glory of God, they were undone. You remember the prophecy of Isaiah when he is lifted up in a vision and he sees God high and lifted up in the temple and, and, and God's, God's robes, his glory, fill the whole temple and then he is undone. He says, woe is me, I am undone. He's undone before the glory and the holiness of God. And you see, at other times, the holiness of God is completely unapproachable. We can't approach God on our own. Even somebody with with good motives, trying to approach God and, and catch the Ark of the Covenant as it falls off the wagon, thinking that he could approach God on his own terms, and he immediately died because God's holy and cannot be approached. You know, the holy of holies was the one place once a year where God's presence dwelled and no one could go into the Holy of Holies lest they die and even the priests if they were not properly consecrated if they had not sprinkled the blood of a lamb to atone for their sins, if they had not done what God commanded them, come to God in the way that he said to come to them. They risked their lives before the holy presence of God. So now, can you imagine Peter and James and John, they know this history, and so they hear God's voice. They see the holiness of God to sin. They must have been out of their minds terrified. It says they fell down on their faces. This wasn't voluntary. They, They didn't know what to do. They fell down on their faces, and they were in terror. Why? Because they got it. They understood the holiness of God. That they couldn't approach God. That no one sees God and lives. But they needed to know really the fourth, the final truth that Jesus showed them. Immediately the the glory cloud was lifted. And what happens? You see, Jesus came to them and he overcame their fears. And what's the truth we need to see is that Jesus overcomes our fears. What does he do? He comes to them. You know, in the middle of the night, a couple of nights ago, and this is a regular occurrence, um, we have six kids, and with each of our kids, all of them have had different times when they get distraught in the middle of the night. They have bad dreams, and, and they cry out, and they they can't be consoled on their own. And you know, I try to lazily yell, it's okay, it's all right, you're going to be fine, you're going to be fine. And, and really, it does no good to them. And and so I have to go into the room and I stumble in and I put my hand on them and I remind her and I just did this night before last and said, Eva, it's okay, dad's here. It's all right, I'm here, it's okay. You don't need to be afraid. God's with us and I pray with her and I remind her that it, it's okay Then she's just having a bad dream. She doesn't need to be scared because she knows me and, and she Thinks I'm the strongest, and she can't imagine anything I couldn't handle. I'm glad she's deceived that way. She's three. One day she'll learn differently. That'll be a sad day for me. But this bright one, this one whose face shone like the sun, he shone with the light of creation. This. This one from all eternity who said, let there be light and there was comes over to them. He truly is able to comfort. He is truly strongest. And he is merciful though. They had not yet really understood fully who Jesus was but in some way they placed their faith on him. Peter had confessed he was the Christ. So, They weren't killed. And Jesus comes over to them and look in verse 7. It says, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. Isn't that what Jesus does in the gospel? Jesus tells us to get up and have no fear. We rightly need to see and understand the holiness of God that his presence bears no sin. We rightly need to see that we cannot approach God on our own terms, we can't come to him on our own, that apart from the grace of God, we would be dead in any kind of self-effort, self-atonement, trying to live a good life. I don't care how good and moral a life you live, you can live this entire life, you can be a good person and feel really good about yourself, but when you go and you stand before the presence of God, you will not last. He will cast you forever into the place of his wrath. Unless you've trusted in him, in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his goodness. They look up and they saw no one but Jesus only. I love the way it puts it that, you know, verse eight. They looked up, they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That's what we need to do, we need to look up and see no one but Jesus only. Now don't be unrealistic and live you know, pie in the sky, but let Jesus be bigger to you than anyone else. Let everything else metaphorically fade away and only see Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus told them not to tell anybody the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. But he helped them get up. He says, Rise and and have no fear. For us, because of the good news that Jesus fully bore the wrath of God that we deserved in our place on the cross when he, he's pointing forward to the cross and saying that I'm gonna die but I'm gonna be raised again. So when I'm raised again, tell them this story so they can make sense of it and they can understand it in light of my resurrection that I've paid the penalty for their wrath and they don't have to fear. We don't have to fear a perfect holy God His presence bears no sin. Something else, too, because Jesus earned perfect favor with God through his complete obedience, because his perfect obedience is now credited to all of us who place our faith in him. Now, he's well-pleased with us who place our trust in him. He sees us as right standing before him, righteous. And now we can come before God's presence confidently. Confidently. That's amazing. Think about who Jesus is in Hebrews um, 1 and 2. It says that he is the exact imprint of God, the very nature, the, the radiance of his glory. John understood who that was when the apostle John later wrote his gospel in, in John 1.14. And John tells us, and, and we have beheld his glory. Peter later talks about this moment. These moments were what sustained John and Peter because when Peter's about to die in 2 Peter, he's writing his last epistle and he's on his last legs and he says, My hope is my life is fading. But because of this vision I had of Jesus, because I saw Jesus for who he is in his majesty and his glory. He sustained me and he'll sustain you. I'm paraphrasing, but, but Peter wants them to understand and see who Jesus is and that's what sustained Peter all the way to the end of his life. We need to look up to see Jesus, to trust in him, to stop listening to yourself, to listen to him and see that he overcomes all our fears. And let that vision of Christ sustain you. This glimpse of Jesus, the king of glory, they had this foretaste of of the kingdom of God. And Peter says, this vision that we saw, now you have something greater. You have the word of God. Do you you see that? We can behold Jesus in the word. We can behold Jesus in the prophecy of God, as Peter puts it, the, the word of God. Are you going there? Are you beholding him? Are you seeing him? Not out of duty, but because we need to see Jesus. You know, this must have changed the perception of Jesus completely. I'm sure they didn't look at him the same way again. They, they must have been filled with all and excitement and peace all at the same time. I think they had all because they saw Jesus for who he really was. Do you see him for who he really is? I think they had excitement because they knew that he really was the Christ. They could be confident that He would deliver them from all their fears. Do you know that? I think they had peace, because now they knew that Jesus was greater than anyone. He was the, he was the light of creation. And now they saw that Jesus is the one who, who drives their fears away. Christian, in your terror, in your darkest night, Jesus comes to us, and He puts his hands on us and he says, "Don't be afraid. Let's see him. Let's listen to him. Let's, let's trust in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for reorienting our vision. Thank you, Jesus, for taking us up to the mountain of your transfiguration that we might behold you.